Good morning, church. Good to see you. I'm sitting here in the front row, so it's fun to turn around and see who is singing behind me. You guys sound good this morning. First uh, Timothy chapter 1 is where we are. So go ahead and open up to that part of your Bible. Uh, if you're new, don't be afraid to look at the table of contents. That's a good way to learn where the books of the Bible are, but this is near the back, near all the T's. So I don't want anyone to point in here, um, or if you're watching online, it could be really awkward because there may be just a couple of you. So no pointing, but here's a real question for you. Um, do you know anyone who seems to be into controversies and into meaningless talk? And not only that, but they seem to confidently assert their opinions and findings, even when you don't ask. And not only that, it turns out they actually don't know what they are talking about. All right. Anyone know of anyone like that? Again, don't point. I bet you can think of lots of people like that right now. Some of them are on screens. Some of them have lots of followers. Some of them live with you in your house. (gasps) What if some of you or me are them? This morning is going to be about this. How do you deal with people who are into controversies and meaningless talk? How do you know if you're one of those people and what to do about it? This series uh, is, is, the whole idea around it is this, dwell well in the house of the Lord. It's not just that we're to live together as a family of faith. How do you do that well? We want to thrive as a community of faith, not just tolerate each other, not just be together. If we aren't actively doing two things in our homes and in our churches, I guarantee you what is happening, whether you perceive it or not, is your home or church is deteriorating. If you aren't doing these two things, ready? Here they are. If you are not celebrating truth and correcting lies. So if you are not celebrating truth and correcting lies, your home or your church, the household of God, is deteriorating. That's what I'm going to put out to you this morning. I get that from 1 Timothy 1. I want to show it to you this morning. Fair enough? If you're a note taker, pull out your notes. If you're a doodler that helps you listen because you're moving like I am, pull out your notes and jot some stuff down. All right. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever bought berries at the supermarket, like Costco or somewhere, and you've had to pull out that basket? Okay, here's the routine. The routine is, if you're at Costco, let's say, and you're buying strawberries, you have to take that basket, and you have to look at the strawberries and make an educated guess as to which of the many choices of baskets of strawberries is the best. Does this sound familiar? Okay. This is how I do it, at least. Uh, And I pull it up, and I look, and I kind of see, right? And then I, I, I do it. But at some point, you have to make a decision. I have lots to buy at Costco when we go to Costco. So this doesn't get, you know, loads and loads of my attention, but I also really love strawberries, and so it matters to me. So I kind of pull them out and look. Once I get home, the discernment about good and bad berries doesn't stop. So I discern at the store as best as I can in the moment. 
I am, I am purchasing, I'm, I'm investing myself in, in the truth of these good berries. I get home and I, the discernment continues. Now, this is not an exact science. We all do the best we can with what we have in the moment. When you get home, more discernment happens. You not only eat the good berries, but you throw out the bad berries, right? So let me just do a quick question. Uh, these are some real questions with real answers expected. Here we go. Is there such a thing as a good and bad strawberry? Yes, uh, yes or no? Yes, I'm seeing some nods. Okay, so what constitutes either a good or bad strawberry? Give me some feedback. Mold. Is that good or bad? That is bad in our home. Yes. Our truth about strawberries is that mold is bad. What else? Mushy. Yeah, you don't want a mushy strawberry. What else? Bruised. Okay, bruised strawberries. We're going right for all the bad. What constitutes a good strawberry? Sweet. sweet. How do you know it in advance if it's going to be sweet? You kind of don't. Yep, it's an act of faith. What else? No green on it. That's right. Does it look ripe like, like it's had enough time? So we're making this assessment, right, all the time, and we do believe in good and bad strawberries, right? Now, here's a little pop quiz, and that is this. What to do with a bad berry, okay? Now, I'm going to give you all four choices, A, B, C, and D. I want you to hold your reply at the end, but I want you to commit to one of these schools of thought, because I bet they are one of you. Uh, School of thought A is this, cut out the mold and save the berry. So give that berry an old-fashioned shave with a razor and keep that thing in your life. That's school of thought A. Uh, B is this, toss the bad one and make sure all the others look good and then move on. That's school of thought B. Maybe your school of thought three. Three is this, throw out the whole bunch and pretend the whole episode never happened. Right? It grossed you out so much that there was a berry that had mold. You're like, I'm done with this whole batch. Once one's bad, they all go bad. And then the extreme is school of thought D. Never think or eat about that type of fruit again. Strawberries now have a distaste in your mouth. You even mention strawberries or see a dancing strawberry on your kid's TV show, and a little bit of throat comes in your mouth, because that's where you're at. Now, A, B, C, or D. How many of those in the room are A? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. A couple. How about B? All right, the vast majority, it looks like. C, a couple of Cs. Any Ds? All right, some of the Cs are like tilting. They're like, I'm a C minus. Like, I'm tilting toward, toward D. No real right or wrong answer. What's really fascinating is God often has Ds married to As. It's really fun in marriage because you're like, how can you shave that strawberry and keep it in our home? It's going to attack me in the middle of the night. Um, here's the point. If it is worth the work of dealing with bad berries in your life, does it not stand to reason that it is worth the work to deal with bad truth in your life? What is bad truth? Lies. Truth that gets hairy or bruised or isn't ripe or isn't sweet and true is false. So if we're going to take the time to do the discernment at Costco and some of our truth we have to look at with faith. We buy that basket on faith. We don't have all answers, all knowledge, but we move forward. We're not paralyzed. Once we get home, we keep discerning. We keep uh, discovering what's going on uh, inside of the basket. So today is all about how to celebrate truth and correct lies in the house of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
verse 3. Follow along with me uh, if you would as I read it. It says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Truth matters. Remember, this is Paul, older Paul, discipling younger Timothy. He is going to repeatedly come back to this idea of sound doctrine, of truth, making sure that the teachings in the household of God, the understandings in the household of God, are not derailed, causing problems. You are surrounded at all times by truth claims. In fact, I would say daily, you actually make hundreds, maybe thousands at times of judgments about truth claims. Let me just put one up here on the screen for you. Every advertisement that you ever see is making some kind of a truth claim, and you have to discern what's going on with that truth claim. Now, because of the power of the human brain, we don't receive all information exactly the same. I can pass right by this picture and be okay not spending a ton of time on it. But truth claims are all around you. Every single ad makes a truth claim. Every headline is making some kind of a truth claim. Every recommendation you ever receive, every Yelp review, these are all truth claims. One star, five star, it's the best, it's the worst, it's mediocre. Truth claims. How about an appointment? Someone tells you they will be there at a certain time. You have to discern, is this person punctual or not? Does 12 o'clock mean 11.55 or 12.30 or 12? Tons of them. Now, those are all kind of easier. How about human relations? Do you know that you're making truth claims all the time based on body language of other people? Someone looks at you and you go, what's true about that look? Are they mad? That look seemed distant. Are they sad, hurt? Was that smirk they just made? Was that about me? So then you open your mouth and things get even more complicated. What was that look? Your loved one, your roommate, your workmate says, what look? Now there's a whole new set of questions. What was that response? Are they being evasive? Do they not understand how their face looks? Boy, this is worse than I thought. And on and on it goes. This was just a, a look and a simple question and a simple answer. Truth claims are bombarding us at all times, and truth matters. Now, how about a teaching or an opinion? Teachings and opinions come at us. Here's something a little bit more subtle. Stories. I hope parents, grandparents, teachers, you are helping your children Understand and think about stories that are coming into your life. Do you ever wonder why you're drawn to certain stories? 
Why is this movie my favorite? Why do I love that book series? What is it that I'm identifying with? What is it I'm longing for? What might be missing in my life that this feeds me? And then maybe more importantly, what are the truth claims behind that story? Stories are really complicated. Many, many movies and stories have really, really great parts, and then parts you're like, yeah, that's off. So the stories that we have, think about this, when you're laughing with someone and and you're just going along, you might lean to someone while you're just cracking up, you're like, oh, that is so true. Our humor, the things we laugh at, those are truth claims. Humor has this way of sort of bypassing logic and reason and sneaking in. Don't raise your hand, but I think it's true. I know it's true of my life. I have found myself laughing at things that are absolutely wicked and untrue. Kind of laughing along. That's so funny. Truth. According to the Bible, truth will set you free. Truth is how we are to worship. Matt led us in this idea. We're to worship in spirit and truth. Truth describes Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. It also says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Those aren't in competition with one another. Truth is revealed in God's word. According to 1 Peter 1.22, truth purifies our souls. Truth makes for amazing relationships. But truth is something that must be walked in, and according to Galatians 2, kept in step with. There's a battle for truth, though. Truth doesn't just happen. It's not just obvious all the time. Galatians 5 says that the flesh and the spirit are at war. So what does the Bible negatively say about truth? It says this in Romans 1. The truth is actively suppressed. There are people that are actively suppressing the truth. In Romans 1, it also talks about the idea that the truth is regularly traded for a lie. Something really, really valuable and helpful in guarding your life, in enhancing your life, is traded away, swapped for a lie. And as we'll see today, we already saw in the passage, truth is wandered away from. I think very regularly, uh, very irregularly, do people just, they're on the truth train and they just go, woo, and they just jump off. I don't think that's how it happens. I think it happens very subtly, one tiny click of the compass at a time. And over time, they've wandered away from it, and they find themselves in a different place. Paul has left Timothy here in Ephesus to be in charge of the church. He's now giving specific instructions on how to lead and how to live in the family of God, the household of God, a.k.a. the church. That's what this book is about. So today, quite simply, is discerning and defending the truth. This is actively needed in any sphere you care at all about. The home, your workplace, your church, your school, your government, your neighborhood. So sorting good and bad in the house of God. Three things, okay? Three feelings. Here's the first one. The first thing that is required, if you want to sort out good and bad in any sphere, but in the house of God, it requires staying. 
Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Specific instruction, Timothy, stay put. Remember, this is a missionary correspondence. They're on special assignment from God. Paul knew that his assignment was to the Gentiles, was to the whole world. So he kept on moving. He's charging Timothy with a special missionary assignment to Ephesus, to this church. Stay put. Why does he want Timothy to stay? What is at stake? It's so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine. Hear me. Bad leadership in the form of bad teaching will result in bad living. Here's the formula. Bad leadership in the form of bad teaching will result in bad living. Parents in the home, does it matter both what you say and how you say it? Yes. Parents in the home, does it matter what you say and what you actually do? Yes. Does it matter the attitude with which you do it? Absolutely. So bad leadership in the form of bad teaching will result in bad living. Here's Paul's charge to young Timothy. Stop it. Stay at your post and defend the good deposit that's been given to you. The gospel that seed Rob was talking about has taken root, is producing fruit here in this place. Stop the tide of evil that will Come, stay at your post. You know, there are good and bad reasons to leave a church. Both as leaders, pastors, and as congregation members. There are good and bad reasons. But from personal experience, I'm now 50 years old, people. I know, I can't believe it either. In my 50 years, most of it being around the church... Here's my finger in the wind, very unscientific assessment. Most leave the church for sinful, petty reasons. I think there are really good reasons to leave a church and to stay at a church. My prayer from day one was God put me in a place long enough that they can get past the honeymoon with me, I can get past the honeymoon with them, and we can just grow up together and just be Christians together. That was my prayer. I benefited from long-term youth pastors growing up. Neighborhood Bible Church for the last 15 years has been our third church that we've ever been a part of. One of the good reasons you leave a church is you plant a new church. That's how this church was born. My last church is in Cupertino. was there for 10 years. We planted a new church. I think that's a good reason to leave a church. Some church plants are actually church splits in disguise. Many pastors feel called to somewhere else because of something far more sinful and sinister than what is said from the stage. Many people, members and leaders, leave because of petty disputes, running from hard conversations or people, or temporal preferences. In the end, it shows pastor and congregation member to be immature and short-sighted in their decision-making. Do the hard work of getting along. Stay put. Remain, Timothy. People are teaching dumb stuff. Stay. Don't run from that. 
What's one of the first things in getting to the bottom of things in a marriage? Remain in the marriage. Stay and fight for the vow that you committed to in the pastorate, in the church, in the ministry. And don't just stay physically. We all know people and experiences where they're here in body, but they're not really there and present. Is parenting hard? Yes. Dad, don't be outside of the workshop. Don't be off wherever you might be. Stay, not just physically, remain active in it. Figure it out. Speaker this week uh, at, at, um, at Hume Lake, this pastor's retreat, talking to a bunch of pastors, a pastor talking to pastors. He said this, there is a push and pull in ministry always. There's a push and pull. The push has to do uh, with hard people, tough situations, difficult teammates. There's always things pushing us to move on. The pull is a new ministry, a new invitation, a new place, a fresh start. He said in his experience, people give 80% of their attention to the pull and only 20% to the push. He says, man, that should be exactly inverted. You should give 80% of your attention to the push. God, am I running from hard people? Am I running from difficult teammates? Here's what I know from friends who have chased ministry positions all over the country. The same hard people you're running from at your current church exist in the new church. You just don't know who they are yet. They look different. They have different names. But man, you can't run from difficult people. Guess what? You're a difficult person at times. Those same hard conversations, those same challenges are waiting for you in a new place. Don't leave too early. Paul is saying, stay here at Ephesus. You are needed. Do you know that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul could foresee that wolves were going to come in sheep's clothing and cause destruction in the church? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Church, you're precious to him. Paul writes this, I know that after my departure, catch this, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Fierce wolves are false teachers, church. People coming in, teaching a doctrine that is a little bit askew and only reveals itself a tiny bit. It's not doctrine like this. That's easy to spot. A few clicks off is not easy to spot. Fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Church, it's happening here in Ephesus and it happens in our churches. When liars are leading the church, the result is chaos. Sooner or later, the result is chaos. I think liars come in the form of knowing liars and self-deceived liars. There are some who have darkened minds, as Romans talks about. There are spiritual forces beyond what we see physically that are taking leaders and using them like pawns to advance their wicked schemes against the people of God. There are self-deceived liars. They are wholeheartedly into what they are saying. They believe it to be 100% true, and they're liars. And there are liars who know they're lying. They call it twisting the truth. They call it a half-truth. They call it a white lie. They say ends justifies the means. 
but they are liars. And Paul says here to confront that. In fact, it's up to Christians and particularly Christian leaders to deal with them promptly and diligently. Again, think bad berry in the berry box, right? You don't leave that thing there because it's gross touching mold. Man, you deal with it. Stay, Paul says, defend and promote sound doctrine. By the way, doctrine is a super fancy churchy word. What does that mean? It means teaching. That's it. Sound teaching. Sound truth. Stay and defend sound truth. All right. So sorting in the home or in the church between good and bad. How do I celebrate truth? How do I correct lies? You stay. You remain in the process. That's, that's number one. Number two, sorting good and bad requires knowing the truth. Does it not stand a reason that you can't correct what you don't know? If you're just doing total guesswork, you don't really know how to correct it. I don't know about you, but in our home, we have a very clear parental job assignment when it comes to who's the driving instructor in our home. In our home, it's me. I love adrenaline rush. I love being scared out of my mind. I have a lot of people eventually to teach to drive. I'm still alive. I'm a man of faith. Yes, I wear my motorcycle helmet when I teach. No, I don't. Not, not really. Tegan is my latest driver. She's sitting here in the front row. By the way, I want you guys to know, um, I have conversations with people. I say, hey, can I share this story? Because I don't ever want to embarrass. I, I don't want our kids to hate growing up in a pastor's home because I just share their life. I have permission from Tegan to share this. Tegan is doing really great. But along the way, what I would do is this. We sit in a car close enough that I can reach over and I can correct as needed. When Tegan was first driving, she was having a, you know, a hard time staying in the lane. So if you're driving along Branham Avenue going this way, which we did regularly, there's a double yellow line there. There's a car's coming awfully fast this way. And so once in a while, I would just reach over and I just kind of correct it just a little bit. Usually I'd use words first. Hey, you're kind of fading a little bit. Do you feel that? Yep. If we're going, I'm going to grab really quick. I don't have time for a conversation. Now, for me to correct Tegan, it means that I, know how, I have to know how to drive. I have to know what's true. If I were really an adrenaline junkie, I'd just close my eyes while I was teaching my kids, blindfold myself. But then I couldn't help them. If I had no clue whether she should nudge left or nudge right, I'm of no help to her. I can't sort good and bad driving if I don't know what I'm doing. So I would talk with Tegan, hey, let's remember not to drive into oncoming traffic. Hey, don't forget your blinker. Um, you know, and I would say, hey, see how I'm the one checking your blind spot there? That should be you every single time. So Tegan does all of that now. Why? Because there was just little corrections going on at all times. I know how to drive well and can therefore correct bad driving. To correct and sort falsehood from lies, you have to, it requires you knowing the truth. Now, Real-world driving means that things can get pretty intense sometimes. I don't spare my daughter from driving in rush-hour traffic because we live here. I need my daughter to know how to drive in rush-hour traffic. So driving here means not assuming that everyone, the moment you put your blinker on, will say, oh, someone's trying to get in. By all means, please step in. (laughs) I don't know where you may live or have grown up, but if you're new here, that's not how it works. So I'm like, look, um, 
you need to sort of like blinker and establish position, right? And, and kind of and get in there. So it's this weird dance. We're driving, uh, not that long ago, we were driving uh, in rush hour traffic. As I wanted my daughter to learn how to drive in rush hour traffic, we're looping from a freeway onto a, onto a road. And if you didn't get over one lane, you were going to loop right back on the freeway and go this way on the freeway. Well, guess what? There's a whole line of people trying to get over into this lane, and they're not just in the middle lane to get over one lane. They're two lanes over cutting in on people here. So people are already in a bad mood by the time you get to here. We're looping onto the freeway, and I'm checking my blind spot going, Tegan, you got to go. And as she's looking, I go, break! Because right in front of us were cars going like this. We're both still here to tell you about it. We're all okay. All is well. And as we're driving, Tegan's mood shifted, and I said, listen, Tegan. She goes, you don't have to yell at me. And I just said, Tegan, I said, we have to figure out how to communicate. I said, there is no anger or malice in my voice at all. Like, like, like that's not what my intent in any way, shape, or form. So help me help you. How can I say this in a way, even in an intense way, that doesn't add to the problem. It adds to the problem if it feels like now dad is shaming me or angry at me or, or going to blow up at me. That doesn't help anything. When you're sorting good and bad, when you're looking at truth, it matters how you say it. Communication, the way I'm talking right now, I pray weekly for you. I say, God, help me sit as a listener. How, how is this going to be received? I don't want to just talk as if I'm sitting out there. Communication is two-way. So we had to kind of work something out. Man, this is the, this is life, right? How in a, in a calm setting, okay, there's no more adrenaline. We can shake it out. Ha! Huh? We're not crashed. Now, how can I do that next time that, that, can, work, that can work it out? We, work, we sorted through that very, very quickly. There's a lot of love and trust between Tegan and I. But man, this is the pattern of life over and over and over again. Because I know how to drive well, I can correct bad driving. The result is thriving. We can safely and efficiently operate a car. Now, how about operating truth? How can we safely and efficiently operate truth? NIV calls, um, calls them uh, controversies, uh, verse 4. It says it this way, promote controversies. These people promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. And then some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Friends, controversies and meaningless talk are taking whole churches out right now. People who do not know what they are talking about are speaking very boldly and confidently from their platform and misleading people. I said this recently to a friend. Always confident, sometimes right. He was kind of trash talking. It was in a really fun setting. But I said, always confident, sometimes right. There are people who are just like, man, confidence is everything. You say it with enough confidence, with enough conviction, people will buy it and believe it. And it's true. If you want thriving family, if you want a thriving church, if you want a thriving city, it must be based on truth. Do not settle for okay, for so-so, for status quo when it comes to truth. Lucas is eating, drinking, energy drinks this week with us. He's drinking bangs, a bunch of them. He has one in his hand right now. 
My wife and I have raised some boys who, who went through the energy drink phase. Newsflash, they're terrible for you. So as parents to Lucas, we're like, Lucas, that stuff will kill you, man. That stuff's terrible. And here's Lucas's response to us. Well, they're not as bad as monsters. They're not as bad as Red Bull. If your diet choices consist, the only thing virtuous you can say about it is it's not as bad as something else, you may want to rethink your diet choices, right? Now, let's move on to something far more serious. This guy's not as bad as the last guy who abused me. Oh, good for you. I'm so happy you're dating again. This teacher's not that bad. They're giving me half-truth. But 50% is an F. Like, that fails you. This new addiction is not as bad as the last one that killed my relationships and robbed my life. And do we congratulate you on that? Not as bad as is a terrible standard. Lucas, I'm totally playing with you and you know that. But here's what I'd say. Lift your eyes. God wants you to live by the truth. God wants you to build your life, trust in something that is utterly and eternally trustworthy. So don't settle in your entertainment. Don't settle in your disposable income or time. Don't settle for your hobbies being not as bad as. You can always find something that's garbage. That you say, well, I'm a notch above garbage. Man, don't settle for that. So then how do we know what is true? If you're taking notes, write down two things. Devote and divorce. How do you discern what is true? You devote yourself to truth and you divorce yourself from all else. It takes both devotion and divorce. The truth is everyone you meet is devoted to some kind of doctrine, some teaching, some story that they are living, some truth or reality that they are making sense of their life with. So where do we seek understanding? Am I discerning the underlying assumptions the underlying building blocks of truth behind certain kinds of teaching, of the news that I take in, of the stories I'm engrossed in, of the sermons that you hear. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 2 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come understanding and knowledge. And Proverbs 14 says, A mocker seeks wisdom and never finds it. How many mockers and scoffers and, um, and people stirring up controversies do we have in our day and age? Man, those are wildly popular people to listen to. They get a huge following. A mocker seeks wisdom and never finds it, but knowledge comes easily to those with understanding. Proverbs 14, 6. All those Proverbs are in your notes worth looking at. Devoting sounds just like it is. Rigorous daily, uncomfortable, and challenging. Devote yourself to it. Your life is at stake. So, of course, it's worth it. Second Peter 1.5 says this, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
You know what Peter's doing? He's laying out the normal path of growth for a disciple in Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you are not stagnant. You are not the same as you were last year, for sure. I pray to God you're not the same as you were last month. Because we're supplementing what comes with our faith. Our salvation is step one. God is leading us somewhere on into godliness. Make every effort. Church, you are not passive in this process. You are active participants. And then look at the result. Here's the result. Just listen carefully. Verse 8 of 1 Peter says this. For if, here's an if-then clause, if these qualities are yours, catch this, and are increasing. Which, which qualities? Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, brotherly love, affection, those kinds of things. If those are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, devote yourself to truth. Don't ever settle. Don't ever think you've arrived. I can assure you, your spouse can assure you, your roommates can assure you, you haven't. You have not arrived. Devote yourself to it and keep at it. If these things keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of Christ, then it stands to reason that it's possible to be ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of Christ. Don't do it. That's part one. Part one is devotion. If you don't do the second thing, you'll be dragged down every time. The second part is divorce. God hates divorce. Yes, he does, between a man and a woman, but not between you and sin. Divorce sin. Devote yourself to truth. Divorce yourself from all else. Myth, controversies, meaningless talk. Look at the words he says in verse four. It says, and devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation. The early church devoted themselves to their pastor's teaching. Daily, they would meet together and say, what does the word of God have to say? Teach us, we want to grow, we're hungry for it. Here we have now the early church, a little bit later on, people in the church devoting themselves to all kinds of other craziness. How about you? I'm going to step on some toes. Ready? Guard your toes. I think that some of what needs to be divorced of, like, like basically the idea of devoting yourself to endless speculation comes in two giant forms right now at least. One is deconstructing your faith. There are deconstructionists, former Christians, who say, I used to believe, and the implied message is what? I'm now enlightened and don't believe in the, in the tenets of the Christian faith. I used to go to church, I'm now enlightened and I meet with God apart from the church. Some of you have kids, grandkids, friends who are doing this and it's freaking you out. You don't know what to do about it. Deconstruction ideas are all over YouTube, all over TikTok, all over all kinds of social media. You can have this just flooded in from you. By the way, let me recommend a book to you. I'm halfway through it. You can borrow my copy if you want. It's called, um, shoot, <laughs> it'll come to me. I think it's called, it's, called, it's called this, Before You Lose Your Faith. Frank Turek says this in his program. He's an apologist. He says, our kids are getting talked out of their faith because they've never been talked into it. They've never been given just solid truth. They've never driven in rush hour traffic. Then they get out into the world and all of a sudden people are not how they were. They go, I wasn't prepared for this. That's because your parents didn't teach you the truth. 
Here's the truth, and they'll offer you something else. By the way, this is nothing new. Dr. Lefebvre was a professor in 1990 at West Valley College. I was a freshman there. Philosophy 101, Dr. Lefebvre was a raving anti-Christian at the time. I pray that she's a Christian now. But she sat there and just undressed all the believers. She had you stand if you were a, a Christian or a, some sort like that. I thought many, many times as I got training, I thought, man, I'd love to go back to that class and do that again. I want a second shot at Dr. Lefebvre and just being able to stand for what I believe in because she made Christians look pretty dumb in her classroom and used her platform in a pretty wicked way. It was all about deconstruction. Promoting speculation. There are people who will invest their entire life promoting speculation rather than ever landing on a truth. Dismantling everything else without ever building something up. That's number one. Number two is endless talk. Here's where I might step on some toes. Sports talk. Political talk, religious talk, YouTube, podcasts, message boards, Twitter battles. I could keep going, right? There is a lot of meaningless talk going on right now, church. Sadly, inside the church looks just like outside the church sometimes. People will engage you wherever people engage you about any host of topics. I pray that you're innocent of evil. I pray that you're innocent of certain news stories. You go, I don't know much about that, but let's bring it back to the Lord. Let's bring it back to the kingdom of God. Let's bring it back to things that actually matter. Meaningless talk is absolutely rampant. Here's one of your plan of actions this week, if you'll take me up on it. Carve out some time to bring this conversation to God in humble prayer. Here's the simple prompt. Is blank the best use of my time? Period. Question mark. Is blank the best use of my time? Bring it to God. Make the best use of your time because what? The days are evil. Time is short, church. You're on special assignment. Invite your spouse, your kids, your roommates, your friends to weigh in. Is this helping me become a more effective, more fruitful Christian? And for those of you internally going, but, 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 if you're feeling defensive right now, maybe you're the one that needs it the most. Leave it up to you. All right. Um, before number three, let me just ask this question. If wisdom were your wife or your husband, if wisdom were your wife or your husband, you were married to wisdom, would your time say that you are in love with him or her or that you are cheating on him or her? If wisdom were your spouse. All right, number three. Sorting in the house of God requires aiming at love every time. If you've learned anything about the years you've accumulated so far, you realize this, doing it once isn't enough. You have to aim at love every time. You could have aimed at love with your kids 10 of the last 10 times. If that 11th time is self-serving, it's picked up on and does damage, doesn't it? Our relationships grow when we aim at love every time. I say aim because you will not get it perfectly. Verse 5, the aim is love. When you correct certain persons, when you call out both the lie and the liar, the aim is love. From a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Check your aim. This is uh, some of your church staff doing some bow shooting this week. And the first picture, I'm like, all right, everyone look tough. 
And everyone had no problem with that except Becky. She's like, oh my gosh, come on. So here's Becky looking tough. Lucas looks pretty fierce. And then here's a more, here's a more real picture. This is us more in our, our natural state. When it comes to golf or guns or bows and arrows or throwing little hatchets, aim matters. Check your aim. And then recheck your aim. We had a target for all of these. We're throwing hatchets. We're shooting bows. It, it matters where we aimed, and then we adjusted. We checked our aim and rechecked our aim and went at it every single time. It's not enough to do it once. In hatchet throwing, guns, golf, if you don't check your aim, people can get hurt. How much more the truth? How much more your own life, where you are steering it toward? How much those depend upon you? You're driving the family car? Man, that's a huge thing that you check your aim. I had a CG leader come to me a while ago now, and um, she's sitting here with us, Denise. I've talked to Denise about this too, but Denise came and she said, I think of quitting being a CG leader. I said, why? What's the deal? And she just shared with me, she said, I don't think I have enough knowledge. I'm trying. I take notes in church, and I've been studying and being a Christian and trying to live the truth for a long time, and things are just coming up, and I don't think I have any or many of the answers that are needed with all the different theological things that come up. So I think I'm going to step down. I listened patiently to Denise as she poured her heart out, and I got what I think was to the heart of the matter with one question. I said, Denise, I said, do you love the women in your group? Denise got choked up and had tears come to her eye. And she goes, yes, absolutely, with all my heart. I said, Denise, sound doctrine matters. Knowledge matters. Add to your faith knowledge. But I said, if you don't have love for these women, I would remove you. That's a good reason to come. Hey, I've got too much knowledge. I don't give a rip about the people I'm shepherding. I need to step down. I'd say, you're right. Let's get you out of there. A shepherd that doesn't love the sheep? That's a self-serving leader. Get out of there. But an under-shepherd to the under-shepherds that wants to love and serve the ladies and is growing and striving and all. Do you know how I know that? Because she comes to me, hey, I don't understand this, I don't understand that. All kinds of humility, meekly receiving the word of truth, walking in it. Her aim was love, and I saw that, and she stayed as a CG leader and did a great job. You know, truth is found not only in affirming what's true, but in pointing out denials. Vadi Bauckham says this, Christians believe in an 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. And in the name of niceness, hard conversations are avoided and bad berries are left to sit in the basket and grow mold and infect mold. If you don't want any conflict, positively state your truth without denying or countering lies. You know what people in our culture generally will do? They will applaud you. That's turning a little bit, but they'll applaud you. Coexist, tolerate, right? Christian, hear me. That's not the way of Jesus. Why was Jesus in such hot water all the time? Here's just one example. Matthew 23, Jesus talking, publicly says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you, dot, dot, dot. And then he'd go on to name the lie that they're teaching. What is Paul telling Timothy? He says, charge certain persons 
Don't do this generally. There are certain people who are liars. They're either knowingly lying or they're self-deceived. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He's teaching what Jesus did. In love, he confronted both the lie and the liars. You want to live a trouble-free life, a conflict-free life, at least on the surface, just spout your truth without ever contradicting the lies, without ever calling out the liars and the lies that you see. But correcting falsehood is the second part of this. It's the second thing that causes a church to thrive. Always, always, always with the aim of love. I hope the last time you were confronted was done in love. It may not have been. I hope the next time you confront, you will do it in a way that you would want to be confronted. It actually ought to hurt you more than the person that you're injuring with truthful, corrective love. Let me have the band come on up. Church, let me just tell you that the world is not used to this. Maturing Christians ought to be very used to being truth-tellers that are full of grace. They go to the right people with it, because if you don't, it's called gossip. They say it in a way that their speech is done to build up and benefit others, not themselves. But this is messy work. And precious few people are just willing to engage and risk injury to the relationship to do this well. Our community group theme this year is bring it in. It's the idea of a team coming in. There's no second, there's no second row to a team bringing it in, is there? All hands are here. We're in close proximity. We're looking each other in the eye. If you did an inventory this week of your time, said, where am I getting my value? Where am I getting my identity? Where am I getting my values? How much time in minutes is spent absolutely devoted to the Lord and his people and what they say? And how much is coming in from somewhere else? I found that to be a really convicting question for myself. Let me read for you in, in way of closing uh, just a, a tiny last bit of a prayer from a Puritan in yesteryear. And just close your eyes and pray along with me. May I consent to and delight in thy law after the inner man. Never complain over the strictness of thy demands, but mourn over my want of conformity to them. Never question thy commandments, but esteem them to be right. By thy spirit within me, may my practice spring from principle and my dispositions be conformable with duty.